Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our, te our text is from Amos. Buying the poor with silver, the needy with a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, I will never forget anything they have done. You know, there's a lot of law in this text and it's easy to preach the law from this text. There are plenty of ways in which we violate what happens here. And I know that some of us will say, oh, I'm not that bad to the poor. But for us to live in such prosperity almost necessitates that somebody else lives in poverty. Why is it that I can buy for half a year's income a fine automobile and somebody else would have to take 60 years of income to buy the same car? There are lots of imbalances and inequities in this world, many of which we are completely and blissfully unaware of. But we are clearly a place where resources are squandered. I'm not being specific about our campus here, which I'm sure is also a place where resources are squandered, but our culture in general does not think much about how the poor are treated. After all, isn't one of the greatest sins in our culture being poor? Don't we think of the poor as deficient or lazy or not hardworking or ambitious or people who steal more or lie more or cheat more? Don't we lock our doors when we go through impoverished neighborhoods? Don't we worry about the poor? It's kind of strange because in other cultures it's not the same way. And poverty is even greater in some other cultures by absolute standards. And yet, lest you guys think this is going to be a socialist sermon or something like that, the text does not say it's a sin to be rich either. The text does not say it is wrong to be wealthy. What the text tells us it is that it is wrong to cheat people. It is wrong to buy and sell people. It is wrong to be unjust to people, to use wealth for power to lord it over your fellow man. Well, there's some comfort for the poor of the land. The preceding context tells us that the people are as ripe fruit and the time is ripe for the people of Israel to fall. And that is good news for the poor because the oppressors will fall. 
And then the text also tells us, after telling us how the poor are cheated, that the Lord will never forget anything they have done. And that's a significant statement for the poor as well and those who have been cheated. And then God talks about his fierce judgment in the succeeding context and tells us of all the terrible punishments that will be brought on the land because of their disregard for the poor. You see, under the law of Moses, it was essential that debts be forgiven in the seventh year and that the land be returned in the 50th year. And yet we have no evidence that this was ever done. And so God had much to be angry about because the people of Israel were not obeying his covenants and were not following his laws. And yet, the not forgetting can work two ways. Because, you see, Jesus Christ also became one of us. And God also does not forget all that he has done. We have several clues to this in the succeeding context. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. This is at least with strong potential a reference to the day of the crucifixion. In that day, the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst, a thirst for the word of God. I will make that time like mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. For Christians, of course, this is clearly a reference to Christ. And so we can give thanks because although our sins are great, we also trust in Christ Jesus in an even greater way. Knowing Christ, knowing that he has died and been raised for us, provides us an answer to the guilt and sin we're not even aware of with regard to our treatment of others. And yes, we must repent not only of sins we know of, but of sins of which we are unaware when we become aware of them. The Lord Jesus has taken our sins to the cross. He has become the sacrifice for you and for me. He has borne our iniquities and carried our sorrows. And God looks to his son and is well pleased 
and his son points to us and says, I have paid for these. So if all our righteousness is as filthy rags, if all of our material wealth is of no value for the kingdom, then we too are the poor and the needy, the ones who need the great defender, Christ Jesus. Does this mean we can just sit back and say, well, now that I'm forgiven, I can go on sinning? No, of course not. We need to think about our lives as well, about how we squander resources, about how we ignore the poor. But maybe the best way to think about that is to think about the one who became poor for us, the one who died for us, the one who really made us all the same in the eyes of God, all forgiven who believe. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.